I'm James Sykes, President, Director, and CEO of Baseload Energy Corp. We're a uranium exploration company focusing on near-surface basement-hosted high-grade uranium deposits outside of the Athabasca Basin in northern Saskatchewan. Our recent discovery, the Accio Project, up in northern Saskatchewan is one of these discoveries, and we think it has the longevity and all of the characteristics required to be an open pit mine in the Athabasca Basin area, reviving outside of the basin mining. James, uh, thank you for the introduction. Good to be speaking to you again. Yeah, uh, outside of the basin, but intimately related to the basin. Um, so part of the same geological system, part of the same broad mineralizing event. Um, and you've just been drilling catharsis. You've been drilling another project. Um, uh, hot off the news release of uh, the first eight holes. Uh, you've drilled 1,630 meters. Um, and you haven't got the assays back, but you have got the first indications of um, logging and scintillometer readings. Uh, tell us about that, please. Yeah, very happy with what we've seen. It, I think it... It, it achieved more than what we expect. Like, honestly, we didn't know what to expect to find uh, with this drill program being between 60 to 80 kilometers away from the basin edge. But we do believe that the basin covered this area at one time, which makes it lucrative because if the basin was overlying catharsis during the mineralization event 1.5 billion years ago, then you've got potential for basement host mineralization. That's what we're trying to vector in on. Two holes in particular, holes five and holes eight, had some very encouraging alteration. Things that we have seen, uh, our team and I have seen around basement hosted mineralization, even even some of these features we're seeing over at Accio. So it's, it's definitely an area of interest. And when you actually put two and two together, you've got this, this hematite, this very strong hematite quartz system on in hole five which when you think of hematite there's your oxidized fluids and then you've got your clay alteration and your chlorite a thick alteration and, and just that the intensity of it that's the word i was looking for yeah, an intense alteration sequence over 17 meters in hole eight and that's all your reduced front well when you when you think about how these deposits really form it's that redox trap that precipitates uranium from fluids. So where your hem where your oxidized hematized fluids meet your reduced fluids, that's where you're going to get your your potential for deposit formation. And so we've seen both sides. We just haven't seen that redox front, but we've seen we've seen indications in anywhere from holes a five, six, seven, eight of of a larger fluid pathway system. Essentially. On a roll front, so you've got the, the the meeting point of these two fluids, and what you've seen is one side, which is the oxidized, uh, clip that in hole five, um, and what's the distance to hole eight, where you've got the the clay indic indicative of the reduced fluid? Four hundred meters. Four hundred meters. So plenty of um, a plenty of space in within which to hide uh, um, uh, the the first whiffs or the first vectors of a mineral deposit. Although these are perhaps the first vectors towards something. Um, just taking a step back from this, how how did you come to drill those eight holes? What were your what were your guiding principles on the orientation and the planning behind that eight hole system? Presumably, this is a an untested area. Absolutely untested. We targeted three different 
types of airborne geophysics surveys. So we were targeting conductors and where we saw gravity lows associated with those conductors. But we're also looking for certain features within the within the conductors themselves. So uh, brighter areas or lower areas, or sorry, uh, diminished 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 conductive response and higher conductive response. The the proper way to say it. So those type of areas that are associated with gravity lows, but also using the magnetics to help hone in on on some of these targets. It's a big project, and this, this whole target area that we just drilled was basically about two kilometers long. You've done some very wide-spaced kind of conceptual or, or first-pass drilling, with it, which will help you to kind of calibrate your geophysical uh, information. In, in sense, this is, a, this is ground-truthing with a drill rig. Yes. Well, not a, it's, it is and it isn't. It's, we, it's, it's something that you have to do. But we had some amazing targets that that we had identified earlier on, and this is one of those targets. It looked great. It looked like things that I have previously been part of, with with ground truthing activities in in other companies. So Hathor, Nextgen, uh, Appia. You know, we these are the same type of of anomalies that we would drill that do lead to deposits. They don't always lead to deposits, unfortunately. Otherwise, we'd just be laughing all the way but they help us vector into the best target areas and the best chances to make these discoveries. So now that we have ground truth that yes, now we can go back and start refining the geophysical, uh, the geophysical surveys and start looking at some of the other target areas that we have previously identified and just reinterpreting them. There are many questions, but one question straight up is what's the, the cover here? Well, how much, um, mapping can you do of the of the geology or is it all till covered it's not all till covered this is an area with a lot of outcrop exposure however the outcrop that is exposed are not the rocks that we want it's typically the archean orthonices that are left exposed at the surface and any of the softer rocks or your meta sediments which are, which are typically softer if anything's clay altered all of your graphitic rocks those are going to be scoured away due to glaciation and typically you do get you, you do get thicker accumulations of uh, overburden of glacial till that get deposited in these little, little, little valleys. We did have a prospecting program back in 2021, though, that also identified a massive quartzite ridge. That was a target area that we, that we have planned to revisit, because if you think of quartzite ridges, the first thing that pops into my mind is Phoenix, MacArthur River two of the highest grade deposits in the world associated with quartzite ridges and we've got beautiful targets along that so so a lot of the target geology is is um less resistant to weathering and so it forms topographic lows and therefore gets covered and pro presumably um there's always the, uh, the possibility that they could be swampy or, or um yes um muddier marshier ground um <clears throat> and that's to be honest though that's that's the history of the athabasca it's, it's a running joke in the Athabasca that if you want to find a deposit, you have to drill the lakes and you have to drill the swamps because that's where your deposits are going to be. You're going to get your feet wet because that's where the, um, when you get an elevated hydrothermal system, it breaks down the, the integrity of the rock. And they may even be within a, uh, a weaker rock anyway. Might the, 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 the characteristics of your rock may influence the, um, the fluid dynamics and which then gets further weakened by having concentrated your fluid flow through that uh, less 
resistant rock in the first place. So it's kind of a cumulative effect. Exactly. So, so can you spot the sediments? Can you? This is what you look at in the geophysics. You can you once you've um, got a handle on it. Once you've calibrated your through your drilling. Once you've calibrated the geophysical response, will you be able to better map the units in the catharsis area? Pretty well, yes. What are the next steps? You've got to go for assay, then you've got to reinterpret. And then, then what happens? And then what are the timelines? That's a really good question because we've also got Accio that we want to get back to this summer. What takes precedence is obviously Accio since we do have mineralization and we need to follow that up and hopefully get to a resource. So catharsis might take a little bit of a back burner. We do have time between now and when we get back to Accio that we will continue to work on it. Again, yeah, once we get the assays back, we'll, we'll do what we do with that. We've got to We've got a certain way to look at look at the all of the elements and just looking for a specific specific characteristics within the elemental signatures, things such as lead isotopes or even uh, uranium parity. Uh, just really trying to map out the idea that there was fluid flow, uh, uranium rich fluid flow in the area versus not, and that that kind of dictates what happens afterwards. We're also we've also sent some. With clay samples in for clay determination, species determination, because again, certain clays have characteristics of being around uranium deposits, and there are subtle features that you can map out in those that can also indicate whether you've had the right fluids or not. And we've got a third study that we've sent to, we've sent five samples to the University of Saskatchewan looking at quartz irradiation studies. So the alpha alpha particles that are emitted from uranium, thorium, and their decay products have a, have a characteristic effect on quartz. So when, you, when you've got quartz veins that are associated with, with this alteration that we think could have been uranium bearing, if there is uranium flowing through those structures or uranium fluids flowing through those structures, then they would have had an impact on the, the quartz veins that were already there or the quartz veins that may be even formed after, which should have no no defects if the quartz flu if the uranium fluids are already gone. So there's a few things that we're we're trying to piece all together in a broader study of this one target area. But seeing seeing the alteration that we've seen and just the the potential for fluids, for uranium bearing fluids using the same same structures, repeated structural events with different fluid characteristics, that's that was the big win for us at Catharsis. Because again, we're 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 far enough outside of the basin. We didn't know what we didn't know what to expect, but now that we see the possibility of the structures and the alteration systems and, and remobilized structures with different fluid characteristics gives us really positive hope that a lot of our other targets will have the same type of same type of structures and then it's just a matter of finding the right one that has carried uranium fluids and deposited is it is it more likely that um that if if the your three studies that you do if they come back corroborating or supporting the thesis that there was a uranium rich fluid passing through here um is, is it likely that it's going to prompt a phase two drilling program on uh this target area or on other targets areas or is it or is it too it was too early to tell which way it goes oh that's pretty accurate and we would we would look at both if if the all of the analysis show that there was 
uranium-bearing fluids within the area, then yes, we will go right back to this target area. Because as, as mentioned right away, we've got oxidized fluids, we've got reduced fluids, we just haven't seen that redox boundary. So if we can if we can get in there and make a discovery on that, well, that's you know that's win number one. But then we we do have all of these other targets that even if even if we don't find any corroborating evidence of uranium-bearing fluids in this one target area, that doesn't mean that there hasn't been that hasn't been the case in these other target areas. So they all still need to be tested anyway. So down the road, we've identified at least fifteen drill-ready targets already on Catharsis. That's that's quite a bit, and it's going to take uh, a, a number of years to really start defining them all properly. So it's a it's a, it's a project that we're not going to walk away from just based on these first results. It has, if anything, it has encouraged us to want to get back there and do some more drill exploration on the project. The statistics on uh, projects and on discovery rates are such that. Um, it, one must expect investing in this area or working in this area, one must expect that you have to work on a number of projects and multiple prospects within that project to increase your um, success rate or increase your chances of making a successful discovery. Um, because it's difficult. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Yep, absolutely. That's why I think that we're, we're I like what we do. I think that we're very effective and efficient with, with our shareholder dollars. That we prior we have a, a certain unique way of prioritizing drill targets, and you know I can almost guarantee that we would always hit alteration and structure, which are two of the key elements you need to find for for uranium deposits. Just the question that nobody can answer because there's no geophysical survey out there that can do it is were any of those structures uranium bearing? It's, it's you, can't answer that. You just, the only way to answer that is with Yule Truthfinder at the Diamond And drill. the next drill program you're going to be doing is in the summer at Accio. Uh, can you give me a kind of a rough time when you're going to be starting that program? I was hoping to get up there sooner, but we learned a valuable lesson from last year in that April and May, the area got a little bit too wet based uh, just because of the snow melt. Yep. So we want to avoid that this year. So we'll, we'll patiently wait for for the majority of the snow melt to dissipate and, and leach into the, the ground. So we can have a little bit of water on the ground. That's fine. Everything's going to be helicopter supported again. So we, we don't have an impact on the ground, but so probably that will be around May, June. We'll have to get in there early to make sure the camp is all operational again, uh, get that all set up before the drills come in. But then we'd like to get everything planned ahead. So get our drill pads built before the drills come in. So I, I would expect around May that we should be mobilizing and starting our preparation work for Accio. And hopefully by June, we'll have at least one drill spinning on Accio, targeting the targeting the nearer surface mineralization. And have you got a conceptual um, first uh, drill budget for that in terms of meters? Yep. Yes, we do. We So we've, we've had this looked at externally, and we've been... Uh, the guidance that we've received is that we don't have to drill as many meters as we did last summer. So that's a, that's a big win for us as well, just uh, to, to even get to the inferred resource category on Accio. So we can be looking at uh, basically 10,000 meters or less. And budget-wise, that should be around uh, 5 million, just kind of upping the upping the cost on that. It shouldn't be 5 million to do 10,000 meters, but rather play it safe than sorry. Yeah. 
and given given all that, and we we drilled twenty thousand meters comfortably last year, that we do have other target areas around Accio, and and even uh, we still haven't given up on the unconformity target area that exists at Accio, and we'll we'll have news about that out because it look it just looks ripe. It looks the unconformity at Accio looks ripe for discovery. We just never drilled it the right way. Now that we know what the structures are doing. And some of the some of the chemical work and even the, the quartz radiation study that we've done at Accio is all suggesting there's an unconformity target to the southeast of where we've drilled. So we'll oh, these are the type of targets that we want to investigate. There's other geophysical targets within the Accio area that we that we really want to follow up on. Then there are some more regional targets for exploration with that just they look ripe for discovery. And the only way to make that discovery is to get out there and, and put the drill on the ground. So we'll see if we can we we'll see if we can do it all, but the main focus really is is that the the definition drilling on Accu that is the big priority push. If exploration if exploration gets pushed off to the side this year, then so be it. You know, there's always next. Year. So that that ten thousand meters that you talked about, kind of targeting inferred resources, that's definition drilling. So you're, so at, at at a minimum, you're going to spend you're going to do ten thousand meters on on Accio itself, and if you've got if 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 your efficiencies allow it and if your budgets allow it, you will invest uh, drill meters in exploration targets. Yes. And what's the cash position at the moment? Cash cash position is about eight million dollars. So we're we're well funded. All, most of that though is all hard dollars. We've got about we've got about a couple million, about two million dollars in flow through, and that's that's what we've left after the after the catharsis drill program. Uh, we've got about two million left to start up Accio again, so some of that will have to go into into the startup process of Accio, and then the remaining, let's say, one point five, would go directly into the drill program to get that rock and rolling. Good. So, d- just in terms of kind of breaking down the news flow, up until the start of uh, Accio, let's call it June. I mean, I know you'll be putting out a mobilization uh, news release in 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 May, saying the crew's kind of heading up there, but. Uh, so for the next three months or so, it's ongoing analysis and um, ranking of targets and catharsis. Yeah, we, we may not we may not release those. Like those can be internal, but when when the results do come out, that that's something that we will share with the public for sure. Again, if because if we can define if we can define uranium bearing fluid system at at catharsis, that's an even bigger win than what we've just achieved. And then we've got some educational pieces that we will be putting out regarding Accio. So, like like I mentioned with the with the sandstone target, you know, how we developed it, why we developed it, why we think it's why we think it's still positive for for exploration and discovery. So things like that, we'd like to educate uh, our shareholders, but also just the the general public and anybody interested in uranium, I think, can learn quite a bit from from what we've got coming. And then you've got, always got the one that I've had in the back of my head for a while is why we honestly believe that Accio is an open pit deposit and has the merits to be an open pit. Have you put out a kind of a guidance on kind of an exploration target? What you what you'd like to, what, what the potential dimensions are of this? Um, I, I know what you you can't um, preempt what a resource calculation looks like, but have you given any guidance on kind of scale and and target size that you think is um, likely to drive economics or drive capital here? Not really, because it is. It's a little bit tricky. It's we've we put out a news release with the with the exploration plans in December of last year, 
that did showcase we have we've got four target areas within a kilometer of Accio that could be could have potential for more discoveries, and those need to be drilled off. The thing with Athabasca deposits is that they're very pod-like in nature. You can follow along the trend, and you can you can have some dead zones in between, and then you discover another pod down the road. So it it's difficult to really give that sort of context as to as to where further mineralization can be without drilling. So we again we we just had to generalize it with having showing you can go back to that that anybody can go back to that news release and see the the four target areas that we've defined within the kilometer surrounding area of of Accio. Um when I um when I first spoke with you we talked about a kind of a, the standard on the classic Athabasca style deposit uh, needing to be more than 200 million pounds because they were deep and buried and under the sediments and um I think you said at the time that uh, a surface deposit outside of the Athabasca could certainly be a lot less than that. Um, I can't remember what you actually said. It might have been fifty million pounds or closer to a hundred million pounds. But um, um, what are your thoughts on kind of what's what you need to be economic? I think it's much less, to be honest. So though those numbers were numbers that were originally brought to my attention back when I was working at Hathor, and it was the the idea was that if you need to go underground you have to have at least 200 million pounds. That's within the sandstone basin. If you want to do an open pit, you need to have at least 50 million pounds. Now, I, I think that I've learned quite a lot since then and that those numbers don't hold any any weight to them because you, you look at what's happening and one of the next deposits that, that Chemical is trying to advance into, into a mine is Millennium, which is underground, very deeply underground. It's much deeper than Cigar or MacArthur. And that's not a 200 million pound deposit. If you look at some of these open pits that were recently dug out at the, the Sioux deposits that Orano and, and Denison have up near McLean Lake, those were not 50 million pound deposits. So there's, there has to be some, some, some leeway. And I think maybe those, those numbers, 200 million pounds or 50 million pounds, have, you, you have to add on building a mill. And so that's why you probably need higher higher amounts or uh, higher concentrations of of uranium so without without needing to build a mill though i think you can do it much uh that much lower tonnages so so you're saying that millennium was smaller than 200 million pounds and 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 sue was smaller than 50 million pounds yes it's funny isn't it it's it's we've got these anchoring points in our head which perhaps are not very helpful and it, it really comes down to the it comes down to the economics of it. If if you yes. can if you Alt. can get something up and running for a low capex and you can run it at a high profit margin, you're going to make your um uh your return on investment and possibly go for it. Whereas uh, if you just say, oh, it's less than fifty million pounds, and you stop there, you wouldn't go for it. And that's and this is where one of these one of these educational pieces that I'm working on. If you look at Rabbit Lake, Rabbit Lake was a, a thirty million pound deposit. It was open pitable. Mineralization started, I think, around fifteen to twenty meters beneath the surface, and that was and it was all lower grade, about 03 percent average grade. So it's not your typical, hey, I'm a two percent Athabasca style deposit. No, this was 03 percent, and it built the mill for what for for the Collins Bay deposits, for the Eagle Point deposit. Thirty million pounds at 03 percent built the mill, and it was. It, it has a long history to it. If you go over to the Clough Lake side of things, 
they were mining small underground underground deposits, fifty thousand pounds, to go underground and extract extract ore from there. Yeah, you know, why would you do that if you're not going to make money? Uh, to me, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. and if you look at if you look at um point three percent in 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 ppm terms, you know that's three thousand ppm, which if you look at anywhere else in the world with an open pit, 3,000 ppm is kind of, it's whoopee. I mean, it, that, that's, that's a high grade for an open pit. Exactly. It's huge. No, that's a big number. And a lot. I think a lot of people lose focus on that because all they're, they're used to seeing, MacArthur River, Cigar Lake, over 20%. They're used to seeing Key Lake in, at 2% and other deposits at, at 1%. And they lose focus on, on the economic side of things and just focus on you need to have high grade. High grade is not king. What's the, what's the investor community talking to you about i mean are you, are you speaking to institutions is there awareness that 0.3 percent in an open pit is good i mean uh and and the what's the what's the mood like we've, we've kind of slightly gone through a, a doldrums period in the uranium sector even though metal prices are actually strong and and steady you know they're 51 52 dollars per pound and the contract prices are um coming on you know that everything's going in the right way but it seems as if the, the, the market itself, itself has stalled a bit. I just wondered what your interaction with the institutions was. Institutions that I've talked to are all in the same boat. They all think that Accio is a wonderful deposit with the ability to move forward as an open pit and even hit this cycle for for production. It's It has everything going. Again, the grades are there. We've got certain higher grade zones. But the big takeaway is the proximity to infrastructure. We're not out in the middle of nowhere. And we've got near-surface mineralization. Mineralization is, is starting as shallow as about 25 meters, 28 meters beneath the surface. Digging away the overburden to that depth is not a very labor or costly, uh, it's not a costly endeavor. This is something that can be done quite rapidly. And then, again, you've got mineralization exposed right there at surface after that. And it's just dig it up or blast it and ship it down to the You middle. and I could probably sit down and name 20 institutions that we know that love uranium. Um, yeah, and they've, they've been bullish for a long time and they've bought into the uranium thesis. Are you seeing any new entrants? Are you seeing any people who are saying, actually, I've converted uh, my view on the the energy transition and I'm now pro-nuclear? Are you seeing any new uh, investor names? Not really, to be honest. You know, that... People, the people that I've that I've been speaking to have been bulls since since I've been around. Basically, like a lot of these institutions, they've they've been long uranium. Even when uranium was in the doldrums, they all knew it was a matter of when, not if, the uranium was going to come back. On the, talking about Accio being a deposit in this uranium cycle, there, there are two questions on this. You know, there are two parts of this. One is how long does this cycle run for, but also how long does it take to bring Accio into production? Because that immediately gets me thinking about permits and the 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 view of the authorities um the saskatchewan government and the kind of the federal government you know is there a real desire to see new uranium open pits in canada i would hope so the uranium open pits can be very safely done and one of the benefits of accio is that it is not a super high grade deposit so you don't the dust or any radioactive controls are not I'm not going to say it's not as stringent as other deposits would have to be, but yes, they would still have to be rather stringent and well-controlled. There are definitely ways to, to control uh, dust suppression within an open pit environment. 
uh, to to prevent waterways from from becoming contaminated, or at least not I'm not even going to say contaminated because that's I think that's the wrong word, but interact. There are ways to to deter waterways from interacting with with an open pit mining operation. So I, I think it can be very safely done. I looked uh, again. I looked to the history of open pit mining in the Athabasca Basin, and it is the most numerous uh, mining operations within within the Athabasca. It's it's been tried, tested, proven true. There are no legacy issues with these open pits. They're they're all under uh, all under control and well monitored. So it's I don't I don't see it being a real issue. You know, what what do the feds and the provincial governments want? I honestly can't answer that. I know our province, Saskatchewan, very mining friendly. They obviously want to see more mines into production. That's that's one of the things I, I've heard for a number of years now, even on the rare earth side of things. You know, they they want to get into the rare earth game, which is why they've built a rare earth plant here in Saskatchewan. The federal side of things always hard to gauge, but historically it's been from discovery to production anywhere from five to ten years, maybe a little bit more up to 12 years, but it's, it's not one of these type of deposits that sit there and languish in jurisdictional or just, I guess, engineering issues that keep them, keep them underground for 50 years plus. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, thank you. That's a really, uh, interesting answer. I'm glad I asked the question about, um, open pits because you, you, you said in there that it was the most, um, numerous style of deposit in Saskatchewan were open pit uranium mines. Did, did I, could, did I hear that right? Yep. No, I said that. I'm, I just have to go back and look at my numbers and make sure that's true. <laughs> because because Saskatchewan's a, um, a a big place, but it's kind of a uranium place as well. So so the, the, most of the uranium mines are open pits. That is, is basically that's what you're saying. Yep. Collins Bay, Rabbit Lake, Sioux deposits, Clough Lake were half and half. There were some open pits over at Beaver Lodge. Most of those at Beaver Lodge were all underground, though. Uh, MacArthur and Cigar underground. Yeah, and Eagle Point. So I would say that most of the um, most of the mines in Saskatchewan were open pit. Obviously, the regulatory environment the regulatory environment changes over time, so it's it doesn't get any easier. But one would hope that with an awareness of climate change responsibilities, energy transition, critical metals, that there'll be some impetus as well as some um, resistance. So so hopefully those those development timelines stay on track. Well, the last last open pit mine that was operational in Saskatchewan, a uranium mine that was open pit. The last open pit uranium mine in Saskatchewan was operational in 2007. So that's not okay, that long ago. It's ancient history. And if, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like you're looking at the 60s and 70s when anything passed. These are, these were modern times. And I don't think the jurisdictions are, or the, you know, any of the, the permitting issues would have changed all that much between now and then. Good. Well, um, I mean, obviously permitting is a good thing to talk about, but the first thing to do is go and find a deposit. Um, or, yeah, exactly. or d- define a deposit. You know, get those 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 limits around the uh, the envelope of mineralization in the first pass effort. So that's that's the job for the summer, James. Sure is. I have no idea. It's it's the job even before the summer. It was, it's been the job over the Christmas holidays. Good. Well, um, thank you very much, and I look forward to uh, seeing the news flow as it comes during the course of the year. All right. Thanks a lot, Merlin. Always a pleasure.